Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Sean. You know, it's funny, every host seems to hate another host's way of introducing. <laughs> Father Mike can't stand it when I say that, and I can't stand it when you say, <laughs> and we're off. So I wonder, does Machado have one also? I don't know. He might have something else. I don't that, know. I'll have to re- well, next time I record with him, I'll, we'll you'll have, have to, to you'll have to not like what Jacob does when he starts. So just to kind of complete the full circle, complete so. the full circle. Yeah, yeah. So uh, round two here, coming back at it. You know, it's been a it's been a good um, twenty twenty four. We started doing this. I like um, this rotation. That's different. I hope that uh, our regular listeners are enjoying it. We're trying to just it just gives us a bit more continuity with the guy. You right. do it for three four months, and then you you go to a different guy instead of like. Every time it was just kind of... It was chaotic. It's hard to schedule. Yeah. And fortunately, you're very good at scheduling things. So getting yeah. it organized. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully this lasts. I don't know. Yeah. You and I are going to work well together. We're going to get it scheduled and organized, especially when we have some Basil Hayden's subtle smoke with us. Compliments of Al Shoop. Thanks, Al Shoop. Who I met this week. Cheers. Who's a longtime podcast listener. Uh, cheers to you, Al. Al. But guess what, Al? You don't even listen to the podcast anymore because you are you drank the Byzantine Kool Aid of Father Michael O'Loughlin, oh, no. the artist formerly known as Olo. Um, yeah, he uh, he. It was great. We had a really fun lunch together last week. Um, Joanne is his wife. She's very sweet too. Um, but he was like, "Yeah, I'm kind of just doing the Olo." <laughs> and I was like, "That punk, that stealing." Punk. What God is not is actually a really really great podcast. And you know who it gets everybody? It's Mother Natalia. Yeah, it's not. She's it's not, yeah. it's not Olo. Yeah, it's not Olo. It's Come the feminine on. genius. It's the feminine genius. I was at uh, Jelly Cafe for <laughs> breakfast, and I always think of Olo when I go there because that was his spot. Oh, sometimes I go there, and people are just like, "Do you know oh, Father Michael?" Yeah, they're like, "Do you know this guy named Michael O'Loughlin?" I'm just like, "Yeah, of course I know him." He's the ultimate regular. Yeah, he's super steady. He's completely unassuming. But what does a Byzantine priest do all day? He eats a jelly because. In their tradition, they don't do daily mass, do they? Uh, no, no. So it's like, does he like sit in the office for like two hours and then like goes out and goes to jelly? Like, what does he do? Well, all day? He, you know, people who listen to the podcast have heard him talk about this, but he's so creative with his evangelization. I That's he walks true. down this Ventura Boulevard, picking up trash and talking to people in his cassock. Love it. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's just classic Olo. Yeah. So. Um, but Jelly's a funny place because I was eating there one time and I ordered br- ordered breakfast and I, I just said, I'd like the, the basic breakfast. How do you want your eggs? Over medium. Um, bacon. Can I get that bacon extra crispy? They're like, <laughs> okay. And then they're like, I was like uh, and then maybe some fruit on the side instead of the potatoes. And she goes, is this some kind of joke? <laughs> and I was like, no, that's just my order. I was a little technical. Sorry, I kind of went for it. And she goes, no, no, no. Father Michael Lachlan, that was his breakfast. That's so every, funny. I was every single morning. Yeah. Um, bacon extra crispy. Extra crispy That's bacon. That's so funny. Yeah. So uh, thinking about him and then thanks to Al for giving us this nice little nightcap right before holy hour at 5 p.m. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be <laughs> out. Uh, the guys laugh at me because I'm doing like the, the head butt. Yeah. Know. Five o'clock is yes, not. Lord. Yes, 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 Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes Lord. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> not the time for me to be. Um, doing holy hour, but anyways, it, that's what we do on Sundays. So, uh, I have a theological question to continue on and banter with. Great. What is your opinion of karaoke? That's a deep theological it question. Is. Yeah. Um, 
I personally love karaoke when booze are involved. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's hard. I don't like getting. I'm, I hate being the center of attention. So last weekend, um, I was in Crested Butte uh-huh. with 19 guys. Nice. 19 guys. Uh-huh. It was a blast. We had an absolutely fantastic. We we have these free weekends that I've introduced where guys plan trips. We help them kind of organize it. So Luke Metzer. I'm glad you're doing that. The ultimate type A. Type A plus 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 organized a great trip hosted by the one and only Tom and Donna Walker. Love it. Who you know? The Walkers. They hosted everybody in their house. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like a like nooks and crannies. There's beds everywhere, and everybody kind of found their little spot. Three guys in the airstream. It was a little chilly out there. I bet. Yeah. Um, but her one condition was we have to have a karaoke night, <laughs> and I was like, I hate karaoke more than anything. Yeah. The only thing I like dancing is the worst thing I can possibly do except for karaoke. <laughs> I think karaoke is worse. I think it's more painful to watch Not me do karaoke. Me. Not for me. I'd rather do karaoke than dance any other day. My sister scoffed at me one time on the dance floor, like <laughs> like audibly gasped at my dance moves. It's like a lane from that Seinfeld episode. It was just everybody stops. But karaoke is worse. And I, I don't think I've done it. And I've successfully avoided it for at least two decades. That's awesome. But I was stuck. So I was drinking gin and tonics, like trying to kind of loosen up a little bit. I was like, man, this is going to be bad. So my question is... What'd you sing? Well, that's the question. What's your song? If you had to get up and do karaoke right now, what do you You know what's crazy? The, the, the last time I played or did play karaoke, this is what we did in Mexico. Really? Because we couldn't communicate with the people. And this one woman, uh, Marilu? Oh, uh, Marielle? Marielle. Marielle, she was like... Um, she was so funny. But like we could barely speak Spanish, Tony Davis and I. They could barely speak. Well, they didn't speak any English, actually. And so they're just like, let's do some karaoke. <laughs> karaoke. And so karaoke. we would like play these random songs. And then like we would switch back and forth between English and Spanish. Most of the English songs they know are like Michael Jackson and that kind of category of right. things. So that's a lot of what we were singing. But then you realize this is way too high pitched to sing. Yeah. Oh, man. So I the guys are doing their thing. And it's very funny. And some of them are like amazing. Jamie Severson is just like a natural up there daniel rivas he's hispanic just james like joseph go james joseph crushed it of course uh i forget what he did one guy did like a poison song it was and then you know james finders is pulling out stuff from like crazy rock ballads it was just it was it was getting crazy mm-hmm. and and they're finally like you know booing me until i finally get up there and i'm like you're gonna boo more as soon as i get up here so i was like okay i bought this album in seventh grade i got it for i got this album for christmas in seventh grade this is the first thing that comes to mind intergalactic by the beastie boys a beastie boys okay which was really hard to sing yeah but cody bliss jumped up there and joined me and helped me out a little bit so we got through it then the night gets on and and we start doing like different groups of guys are getting up and doing it and it's kind of getting crazier uh and funny and then john cooney is like i'd like to call up my formator to help me with this one and it's an ed sheeran song oh no now i like i like ed sheeran he's great but he's but high pitched. He's, hard he's to high pitched, and the lyrics you're like, oh, oh, I didn't really realize that. So was it raunchy? Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. Yeah, which was guys are like, oh, it was like more of the. I was like, oh, more scoffing, more audible gasping. <laughs> so we got through it. I was like, the song's about marriage, nuptiality. Get over it. But I successfully got out of there, and uh, the, the weekend went on. We yeah. skied. It was great. So. But karaoke. So why is that a theological question? Well, Ed Sheeran leads us into a topic that we're going to talk about today. So it's actually not properly theological, but it's like a you gotcha. know, propedeutic to the topic, which is 
chastity great eric varden eric varden the aardvark the aardvark <laughs> aardvark that's the name of paul polito started a uh uh card his own uh card business after college called uh-huh. aardvark no so kidding. that's the only time i've ever heard that word actually used <laughs> I'm holding in my hand a book by Eric Bar- Bishop Eric Varden called Chastity, Reconciliation of the Senses. Now, when you hear priests talk about chastity, you're already thinking to yourself, this is going to be super lame, right? And the topic, is, th- this word is just like not interesting to people. It sounds stuffy. It sounds Victorian. It sounds, well, I better be careful saying Victorian because we were corrected by the one and only Carrie Floyd <laughs> and many other women that Jane Austen is Jane not Austen. Victorian. Okay. Um, but uh, it just gives a sense of kind of stuffy repression. That's what chastity does. And we fall victim to that culturally. Uh, and I think that we all kind of uh, feel it, even for those of us who have made vows of chastity and, and preach about the importance of chastity in every state in life, married people, everybody. Um, Eric Varden is an amazing, amazing writer. Um, and I've just, I've, I think we mentioned him in December. We talked a little about him, but... I'm just reading everything I can from this guy right now. Mm. Um, he was a Catholic convert. He's from Norway, um, and uh, but went to um, he went to college at Cambridge. Converted in the early '90s, then became a Trappist monk um, at a monastery in England. Did a doctorate in theology in Rome. Came back, was made the abbot, uh, and then was named the bishop of Trondheim, Norway, which is in the north. Mm. Um, not like way, way, way north, but like the north of the, the kind of main part of Norway. Mm-hmm. Trondheim was uh, called Nidaros in the Middle Ages. And Nidaros was the famous pilgrimage site to the uh, tomb of St. Olaf. Mm. And it was a huge medieval pilgrimage route. It was the furthest northern uh, pilgrimage site in, in medieval Europe. But it was a very, very famous place. And I had the privilege to go to Nidaros um, with Evan Koop, which he affectionately called my Kristen Lovren's daughter, uh, pilgrimage through Norway. Mm. Uh, we did some other things, but um, it was to kind of see Sigurd Unset's life. Um, and in the story, Kristen does take a pilgrimage to Nidaros. And in the two novels, medieval novels that Unstead writes, um, she she's always talking about St. Olaf. It's just, it's kind of in the, St. Olaf is the great king who brings Christianity to Norway in mm. I think the 11th century, somewhere in there. Um, but, Varden is now the bishop there. He's the first uh, Norwegian-born bishop of Trondheim in six generations back. So mm-hmm. the last five have been Germans. So this is a big deal. It's a big deal, yeah. But he's bringing, he's writing in the out of this, Just you can just tell it's this depth of prayer. years and years of deep, yeah. deep contemplative prayer. And he's an extremely talented um, writer, but he's also um, very poetic and uh, as well as contemplative, and he's very artistic, so he, he ties in a lot of different kind of um, things from from theater and from film and poetry, and it's just it's it's beautiful. So, and uh, the subtitle is is compelling. Mm. Chastity, the reconciliation of the senses. So I told Archbishop uh, Aquila, who is in Varden right now, too. I was like, we got to get him out to Denver. So mm. hopefully, stay tuned. That'd be we awesome. Can get him on a stateside tour. That'd be awesome. So all I want to do today is just pull out a couple of um, my favorite kind of uh, notes from Varden's book on on chastity. But before I do that, did you started this or you got I it? I started it. Yeah, I think I, I made it through like the introduction. Um, I'm also captivated by the title to Reconciliation of the Senses. And I want to get more into that because it's very Thomistic. Um, but certainly you, you I'm assuming you'll talk more about that. I do have a question unrelated. 
Uh, maybe first of all, a shout out and then a question. Okay. Shout out fellow John Clockman. He was pastor of St. Olaf Parish. Oh, that's right. In uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, who is St. Olaf? St. Olaf, the king of Norway from the 11th century. 11th century. Okay. Who converted and converted the nation of Norway. The whole and really kind of, of Scandinavia kind of goes back to Olaf. Gotcha. Okay. There's a really striking image of Olaf uh, in Rome in the church of... Um, what is it? Uh, if Austin is listening to this, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's where Charles Borromeo's head is. Um, but it's a really striking image of the, the paganism. And, the, and we just forget that. And Unstead's novels catch this. But just the intensity of the heathen culture of the, of the Norse world. Mm. Um, really, really violent. Um, she wrote a book called Gunner's Daughter, which is kind of takes place in the, like, the late 900s, early uh, 11th century and it's all about like what was required to convert Vikings. Mm. I mean, it's crazy yeah. to think about it. And now Scandinavia is it's you know IKEA and it's totally secularized like everywhere else. But the the patrimony and the the depth and the history of this giant of a king. Mm. And we as moderns we've been bought this whole kind of ideology around like well it's just like it's all proselytization. So like nobody actually thought for themselves. It was just imposed from above and the church was really corrupt and had all the power. And it's like, no, 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 this is not history. Mm -hmm. This is not actually what happened in reality. Um, the story is gigantic, heroic figures who transform uh, a, a culture or a nation over centuries, but it starts with that figure. So Olaf is the man, I think for the middle ages for Norway. Awesome. So it's yeah. a great place. Go to Norway. Uh, Varden, in the uh, kind of title page, before he gets into the book, he's got this little Latin phrase that he pulls out of, I think it's um, a Carthusian mystic or something like that. Ubi amor, ibi oculos. Where there is love, there are the eyes. There are eyes, yep, that's right. Where there's love, there are eyes. I preached about this this morning up in Silverthorn. So that's how he kind of frames the whole book, is um, about seeing, hmm. about learning how to see chastity is not this kind of repressive suck it up and don't give in to the the desires that you want to give into right um it's about learning how to see um and learning what love actually is it's the perfection and the authentication and the the literally the chastening of love so it kind of presupposes that we don't know what love is mm. we don't actually understand what that is we think we do but our desires as we know one of the effects of the fall is that our desires are uh they're perverted they're confused they're right. crazy they're not always leading to human flourishing um and as you said earlier saint thomas is a really beautiful um vision kind of thomistic um virtue ethics just deeply understands this the the need for the kind of correcting but it's not just a negative kind of repression it it opens the heart to see things to see reality to see beauty as it actually is right. truth goodness all these things um and so varden starts with that so it's all about seeing hmm. So the first line to, to note here, and we'll just do this for a little bit. We'll kind of see how long we can go here because I do have to kind of sober up before holy hour like uh, <laughs> usual. Um, this is what, how he starts with. Chastity is not a denial of sex. It is an orientation of sexuality and of the whole vital instinct towards a desired finality. Mm -hmm. Okay, chastity, not a, not a denial of sex. That's the first thing is that I think we've bought that culturally. Right. Chastity means denial. Right. It means repression. And and sadly, this is the this is the the really tragic 
even demonic, um, you could say, state that, that we find ourselves in is that people have equated chaste celibacy with the repression that leads to pedophilia. Mm, right. Yeah, acting out in unhealthy ways. Yeah, so like we're all just sexually repressed celibates who are then going to do crazy things, right. just evil things, mm-hmm. because we, we can't act out our passions. And, and, and that is just, that's, I, I think it's a demonic vision mm-hmm. of, of what this looks like. Yeah. Chastity is something that, uh, as he says, it's an orientation of sexuality. It's orienting it. So orientation, not in the sense of like this, all this crazy ideological language of like, I decide whatever my orientation is. This isn't self-creation. It's just like, it's actually tethering it back to the purpose and the end that is not ours. Mm-hmm. It's given, it's written into our human nature. Yeah. So that's the first thing he says. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I wonder partly the reason why we feel it's like the repressive is because chastity falls under temperance. Temperance is the moderation of the pleasures, right? Which we do have to moderate our pleasures. And the, the three highest pleasures would be uh, touch, taste, and drink. So drink would be sobriety. Taste would be abstinence. I abstain from eating, you know, meat on Fridays, for instance. Uh, and then chastity for touch, for sex. And I wonder if like, oh, I have to moderate my pleasures. I have to like, I wonder if that's how we're thinking about it. If, like I have to moderate, I have to repress, I have to prevent myself from x you know from um drinking too much from eating too much right i wonder if that's why we we get into the thought of of what you were just describing i don't know but there's a positive aspect to it is what what you're hinting at what you're getting to right and, and people know that instinctively what's what's complicated about the whole um virtue state we find ourselves in is that now we're so obsessed with well-being and health mm-hmm. that we're doing things that classically would be Virt, Christian virtues, Correct. but Self-care. we're doing them for secular reasons, right? Right. So it's it's all like so Huberman's podcast on alcohol, very mm-hmm. compelling, right? But he's kind of a sto he is a stoic, mm-hmm. right? So it's just like you don't need to do this anymore. So people stop doing it and they take uh, cold plunges instead, right? <laughs> right. And there's something that's really good about this. You know, Exodus ninety is awesome. Mm-hmm. Tens of thousands of people have been affected by this. We have one brother who will not be named who's doing ex- i joke i call it exodus infinity because he's just doing it forever you yeah. know but there's something kind of like is this a world denying kind of stoicism mm-hmm. that's built in here i think we need to think more deeply about that the kind of reversal and the transmutation of values into a, a different kind of secular environment where people are better at being disciplined but not for the right reasons not for love of god mm. which is really noble but not not where we're going Correct. Right. right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So he starts the book, then he moves into a, a chapter on called "What Is a Human Being," what a human being is. Um, and his point here is like we have to start with anthropology. We got to get that right. If you don't get what a human being is, then everything kind of goes goes wrong. What is his purpose? What is his end? And this is what he kind of. I'll just. I'm just pulling out random quotes here. This is not systematic at all. The tendency of our time is to idealize nature, with its impulses and appetites, not to transcend it. While anthropological discourse since antiquity has dwelt on what sets man apart from other species, there is a strange determination abroad these days to evidence that we are no more than animals. So there's something about the idealization of nature Hmm. that's grounded in this kind of, I don't know, like you have these like, we're not on social media, but these influencers, these guys who are unbelievably... um, 
their their wills are extremely extremely disciplined and they can do crazy things mm. um but then they they have five wives or they have five women that they have children with or whatever it might be so it's like you bracket this mm-hmm. this one this one kind of sexual desire instinct what's going on there beneath it is this idealization of nature mm. that we we just believe we don't believe that we're fallen I guess would be the best way of putting it. Hmm. We deny the doctrine of original sin, which Chesterton says is the only doctrine in the church that you can actually prove. By reason. Yeah, he's joking. You know, he's like, he's being humorous here. Just saying, just walk around for five minutes and talk to people. Yeah. It's a fallen state. Right. But we don't think like that. Yeah. We just, we kind of idealize our nature and we think all of our desires are good and we have to be happy for everybody when they, I don't know. Uh, when they act on things and they they leave their family and they you know whatever it might be like yeah um so we're doing that on one side and the other side is christianity has been kind of condemned as a, as a moralism mm-hmm. it's just um, a bunch of rules and ideas that we have to follow and there's nothing actually about the human person there's nothing transformative yeah. and that's where his line we have to learn to transcend nature that's what chastity is about mm. it's not about just idealizing nature or obsessing over whatever the desires and appetites are, but that there's a possibility of self-transcendence yeah. that's rooted in grace. Do you know, did you ever see that podcast? Um, do you know who Lila Rose is? Yeah. Did you see that whatever podcast that she was on? It was really, really good. Very inappropriate, but it just kind of shows you like where this kind of culture and where we are, where we're at. So the, the whatever podcast they do, like three hour long, five hour long podcast of like, bringing different ideas together. Um, I think they're conservative leaning, but they almost always interview um, kind of liberal people. And so they had Lila Rose on it to uh, interview a bunch of people who like were polygamists and kind of that kind of nature of things, uh, multiple partners, etc. So that's why it gets inappropriate. So I caution you if you do want to watch that. But Lila Rose, right, defender of uh, pro-life, very pro-life. And so she was uh, defending monogamy as well as uh, heterosexual as well as um, pro-life, um, so defending life in that way. It was just like really fascinating to see like how degraded it can get when we get focused into, no, 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 I just follow whatever I desire, right? Thinking with um, our passions as opposed to like, no, God gave you a will, an intellect and will, but you're fallen and you no longer think with your intellect, you no longer do good things with your will. Like our intellect is darkened and our will is weakened. And, and now we think with our passions, our emotions. And it's just like, it just so clearly plays it out of how it gets degraded and how it gets degraded quickly. But I find it interesting. I would love to think more about that of like, why is it that these influencers they're, you know, like I think of Andrew Tate, um, who's like this guy who's like, you know, he's like a UFC boxer, whatever he was, MMA. And he can like do crazy workouts, you know, and, and starve himself and take an ice bath every day. But then like the way he treats women is just terrible. Um, like, why is there virtue, uh, a seemingly Christian virtue in certain aspects, but then this aspect, there's just nothing? Yeah. I think that, that um, and we've had some interesting conversations about this, like, um, just in the companions and in seminary work of, like, for example, Sexaholics Anonymous, um, as a, a movement likened to, obviously, Alcoholics Anonymous and applying the, the, the steps mm-hmm. uh, to it. Is there good here? A lot of good. But sexuality is different than just 
should I have another whiskey? Should I have another Zin? And am I chemically incapable yeah. of doing that? It's integrated deeper into us, our sexuality. Exactly. So yeah. it, it, that's where that's where he starts in the kind of anthropological because we have to get down to like, what does it mean to be a human person? And sex is not something that we do. It's a, it's a mode of our being. Mm. And he has this line somewhere. I was just looking mm. for it, but I can't really find it. But he's like, uh, oh, here it is. Okay. Our current in our current usage, sex is variously an activity, a commodity, and a compulsion. Mm. One can quote have it, quote buy it, and quote be addicted to it. Etymologically speaking, sex refers to a state of being. It refers to a division of the species into two kinds, male and female, each incomplete without the other. Only fairly recently was it adopted as a direct object of verbs denoting human endeavor. Mm. So that's interesting to think about, that our modern parlance has shifted and, commodi- and, and made sex a commodity. It's yeah. something that we do. Right. So that's his, whole, his first chapter is about what, it, what a human being is, and he's italicized is because it's about being. Mm-hmm. Sex is something that has to do with our being. It's not just something that we do. Right. Right. So I think that, that kind of ties into it as well. I think that... One of the things that I found really good and sobering about this is he says this, um, he says, so this is going against that kind of idealization of nature. He says, in existential terms, we might state it like this. We do not, in fact, know what is natural to us. Hmm. Therefore, we struggle to live naturally. We don't know what's natural. Are these desires that I have uh, for whatever it might be today? Um, What am I acting on? What is this natural and again, the kind of love, the kind of innate naturalism of just like, love is love. My desires are good. I'm, it's, a, it's reacting against, again, kind of a, a stuffy reduction of Christianity to kind of a moralism. But ultimately, we have to just begin with a kind of baseline poverty of like, yeah, we don't actually really understand what it means to be natural. Hmm. I don't know what that means. That's fascinating. I, that's a really good insight. I... I because I think we go out and do things like in nature, right? This is the um, love for the outdoors, right? And and we don't even call it creation anymore. We call it nature, you know, all those different things. But uh, but when it comes to like our bodies, then like we don't know it's natural because we've just, we're so disordered. Like we keep rebelling more and more from what is natural, from our natural state. Um, so it seems, yeah, it seems what Bishop Varden's getting at is like, then if I have any inclination, any desire within me, I never question, is this a good desire? Is it good for me to want that, you know, $500 that I see on the the street? Um, Should I just pick that up and pocket it? Or should I go turn this into the police station or whatever? There's no inkling to say like, this is a good desire. This is a bad desire. It's just a desire. So therefore I'm going to act on it. Right. And another thing that I've been thinking about a lot in in seminary work is the relational nature of self-knowledge. So I can't really self-interpret. Right. I don't really know myself apart from, and we were a part of a community of priests, so mm-hmm. we really believe that as much as our friends are a bunch of idiots, and we <laughs> sure. are as well, yeah. um, it's, good, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. That includes celibate priests. Like yeah. To live chastity means to find yourself within a, an atmosphere by which um, you come to understand who you are, and you come to see the modeling of virtue in a really deep and profound way in the, in the brothers. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can think of guys who just live it out and they, they live out their priesthood in a, in a chaste loving way because the essence of chastity is the dispossessing of love. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. Yeah. 
and and the desires in us and the craving is for possession this is why eros eros is the greek word for desire the desirous love it's where we get the word erotic but it, it's not just reduced to that kind of sexual eroticism mm-hmm. it's it's really about the fulfillment that i have i'm not fulfilled in myself i have a supernatural end so that my nature cannot just be fulfilled in itself mm-hmm. i need god and i need god to fulfill that desire and every all of these goods that immediately oppress themselves upon me from that beautiful woman who walks down the street to this bottle of whiskey next to me whatever it might be all of that has to be in relationship to the ultimate desire of the heart and only with that does all of this kind of start to make sense and that's really what the christian ordering of virtue is about mm-hmm. it's not about some kind of empty kind of arbitrary regulation of and repression of desire it's about the fulfillment of it and when you when you taste that you mm-hmm. realize this is actually the desire is actually comes to a deeper fulfillment right and i think that's why it's so fitting to say like there's a hierarchy of goods god is the greatest good but there's other goods in this life that that are good right our our fleshly desires are good right like uh, to be blunt here like if sex didn't feel good like no one would be having kids right because childbirth is so painful you know like there's there's goodness in these things how, how god has created it uh but when we focus on a lesser good and try to make it the highest good that's when it gets out of order and that's why i love the subtitle the reconciliation of the senses because it's like our senses need to be properly ordered under our intellect and will and when our senses get heightened to say like my eyes are the best thing my ears my mouth whatever like my mouth for instance if i just think with my mouth of like, I just need more food, more food, more food, more drink, more drink. It's like, that's disordered, you know? It has to be ordered under the highest good. So I love that, that's a good insight, but I think that's really what it means when it comes to the the reconciliation of the senses of like learning how to see again. And I think the two great literary examples of this, at least the most powerful ones for me, Dante, Mm. which I'm teaching in eschatology again, and it's been really cool because the guys are preparing for their diaconate ordination, they're in theology three, so they're about to promise chase celibacy for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the way Dante describes hell. We're, we're deep in the inferno right now. And it's not this kind of condemning caricature uh, and some kind of medieval vestige of, I don't know, whatever, this kind of weird, arbitrary um, Christian worldview. It's getting to the heart of what you just said, which is if you don't have God in Jesus communicating to your desires, then your desires themselves will become your hell in this right. life. Yep. And the second is, and we've, we've podcast on this, is The, the Great Divorce mm-hmm. by C.S. Lewis. Absolutely outstanding. If the love of God does not authenticate the human loves, then they become the hells themselves. And we, we literally cannot choose heaven, right. as he demonstrates. So there's a lot at stake here, and we have to kind of retrieve this word. Um, and, we have to, and it begins by really integrating deeply what is sexuality, so he has a, a big big chapter called Tensions, and he plays out the tension between the masculine and the feminine uh, as, as structurally part of human nature uh, and how they're made for each other. The masculine's made for the feminine, the feminine's made for the masculine. It doesn't matter if you're a celibate, it's the same. Mm. Uh, and obviously there's supernatural grace at work here. Uh, and then the other one is uh, Eros and Agape. And I kind of hit on this. If if people who are listening to this, my talk last week at the Human Dignity Initiative um, <laughs> was hitting on this. Yeah. Eros cannot fulfill itself. Mm. Garansky used to say, hell is unfulfilled eros. Mm. And you think about just the, the continual grasping at the desire 
um, and at the pleasure, whatever it might be, the good, um, trying to fulfill itself. And we're living in a culture of just quite bluntly of auto eroticism mm -hmm. where it's just my own acting on my own eros and trying to, and the whole pornography industry is, is created for this reason, mm -hmm. this kind of auto eroticism. And so eros finds fulfillment in the total gift of self, which is agape. And that's why God's chosen manifestation. When God says, I am love, he's saying, I am charity. Um, it's actually funny today. It was, I was, this came into the homily cause everything's recycled at this point. I'm not actually a pastor. Um, so I'm just kind of riffing on, on a variety of themes from class last week. Um, but I just said, I love snarfs. I love snarfs. It's one of the greatest sandwiches ever. Mm -hmm. Turkey Swiss. I said, you got one right down the sweet street. This is up in the mountains. Um, but that is, this is not the love that opens the eyes that allows for seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, this is a different kind of love. And then after mass, I went to Snarfs, and there was ten people from no the parish. No that's awesome. Yeah. And several offered to buy my Snarfs, which I appreciated. So, um, did you let them? I had bought it in advance. I pre-order because I have the app because I'm nice. Not. Um, and I was also thinking about just it's not just sexual desire; it's everything. Um, I'm coming off one of the greatest powder days of my life skiing. Fresh and, snow, and you broke your ankle because of I that. didn't break it, but I definitely sprained it. Yeah. And man, uh, sprained it on the second run perfect powder day and i'm like i am not i'm skiing today totally and it was not it was probably not good but steve say i will figure this all out for us <laughs> that's right but like fresh powder is kind of the last thing in colorado that people sit around and wait for mm. and they know it just has to it's it's pure gift mm -hmm. it's pure gift you don't know when you're getting a powder day right but when it comes it's just absolutely unbelievable but even when you're skiing a line i mean i was in vale colorado skiing eight inches of fresh powder first tracks it was like this is just it but it's gone mm -hmm. as soon as you touch it right and it's the same with everything right and so chastity is is the, the way that we chase in love is it helps us to see things as gift and it helps us to receive and that ties into your marion podcast from from two weeks ago um and so it's so beautiful the vision of it that he lays out but it's been it's something we really have to rehabilitate culturally, I think. Yeah, a couple of questions, especially as men who hear confessions often. I think um, there can be a big discouragement with people of just like, is chastity possible? Especially someone who's struggling with it in different ways, whether it's with, um, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, whatever. Um, but also like someone who's just struggling by themselves and they can come in and just like, be really discouraged, you know, of just like, is this possible? Is there hope? Is this possible? And so like, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on like, if chastity is about being able to see again and just like reordering these things, um, the reconciliation here, like, I don't know, like, do you have good advice or like, do you, do you tell people things or like, how, how do you get them to kind of relook at this and re-see like chastity is not just, um, not looking at pornography or not acting out with your fiance, girlfriend, boyfriend or whatever. Chastity is so much deeper than that. It is possible, but how do you encourage someone in that? Yeah, I think I, I, I've talked about this in prior podcasts, I'm sure, but uh, just going back to Dante and his vision of it. So when you descend into hell, the highest level of hell in terms of the seven deadly sins is, mm -hmm. is lust. Right. And so lust is not the center of hell. Mm -hmm. Pride is the center of hell. Pride and envy are the depths of hell. Um, where, where we find the violent, the fraudulent, and the traitors. And then as you climb the Mount of Purgatory, the climb starts with pride, mm -hmm. and it ends with lust. 
So lust is the last thing to be purified. So there is this weird tension within kind of modern-day Christianity of you have this idealization of nature and this kind of wholesale rejection of chastity as this ideal and this this noble virtue to be striven for that actually authenticates love. And then on the other extreme, we kind of, we obsess over sex, Mm. uh, over the sixth commandment. Ratzinger has a line where he talks about the, the maladie catholique, as the French call it. It's the, the, the Catholic sickness. It's kind of this obsession with it. But if you're struggling with chastity, you're not, it's not the same as just struggling with, do I have another drink tonight? This is about intimacy. This is about power. This is about your identity. This is about the, the trust that comes from a dispossessing of love. Mm. Um, it's tied to the human heart, which has an end that is not in this world. So it means li- really living from a deep sense of faith. It kind of, it presumes a lot to, to take on the noble task of living a chaste life. Um, do we need just to prohibit certain things from our life? Absolutely. Mm. And, and Varden talks about that. When he talk, he's got a chapter on negotiating passion, he says, destructive passions, passions are like appetites or desires, can be starved to death, provided we take responsibility for them and deliberately reject them with all God's help naturally. So we have to stop relying on ourselves. We can't just, as I say to the guys, you can't just muscle your way into chastity. Like It's not a muscle up. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't just force it because there's deep, deep work in the heart that has to be done all the while. If we're just streaming on Netflix... This is not going to end well. Right. right? Yeah, to avoid the near occasion as well. Right. And so I, I think that there has to be this built-in sense of like, I die, I'm dying mm. uh, of these passions, and I'm starving them. And, and that's where a good spiritual director, a good confessor can help Correct, with that. Yeah. Um, but there is self-reliance and self-condemnation, as we talk about in the companions. They're the twins. They go hand in hand. So you're living self-reliant. I got it. I got it. I'm under control. Everything's fine with my girlfriend. Everything's fine with that kind of woman I work with who we really connect, even though I'm married, whatever it might be. And then it's self-condemnation mm-hmm. and it's the total destruction. Right. And the problem, of course, is that word self at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So the last part he turns to uh, is the contemplative life. And uh, this is where it comes full circle with his notion that chastity is really about seeing. Right? It's about the pu- being pure of heart. And what do they do from the Beatitudes? They see God. Right? So purity of heart, the chastening of love, is the capacity to see God. You mm. cannot see God. We cannot see God apart from chastity. Mm. It's indispensable, right? the purity of, of love. And contemplation is the gift of seeing things truly as they are, of actually living in reality. The content, this is what Varden is, is he's so incredible um, because he is a contemplative through and through. And you feel it as he, as he, as he speaks about it. Uh, he, did, he gave an address to priests uh, last week in Portugal and he had this line and I was just listening to it. I was like doing emails or something and I just stopped. It, it kind of arrested me. He said, prayer is not one activity we do among others throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Prayer is the atmosphere in which we subsist. Yeah. It's like, whoa. Prayer is, is, is not something that we do. Now, we need to do things. We need to do mm-hmm. prayers. I need to go right. pray at 5 o'clock here in a couple minutes. But prayer is, 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 a, is a mode by which we live. And so prayer and chastity are really intimately connected to each other because it's about seeing God. Yeah. It's about the search for God. 
and, and that gift of faith which pres- which undergirds all of this. Yeah. So it's interesting that he starts with that. He says the contemplative gaze becomes become virginal is relieved of pre preconceptions it's something that mere he says we become a mirror of this beauty and its echo yeah such a tremendous and beautiful vision and when you meet people who love chastely and whose gaze is chaste you realize the power of this yeah you realize the beauty of it right i say mass for uh religious sisters uh the missionaries of charity here and then the sisters of life um on friday thursdays and fridays and they're just when i'm with them it's just like there's so much beauty yeah. to this because it's a dispossessed love for God. And, it, mm-hmm. and and this is what the human heart is made for. And that's a very particular vocation, very, very specific one. Um, but man, it, it, it certainly inspires you to say, yeah, we need to live this more deeply. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this this week because it came up in, um, it was actually Friday specifically when it came up in the readings with the Feast of the Presentation. But it made me re- rethink, like, we say this every time at night prayer. This is what we say um, from the Canticle of Simeon, right? My own eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, I love that. Like, my eyes are seeing the salvation. And it was just like, when I was praying with it on Friday, the Feast of the Presentation of like, what do my eyes see? Do they see God's salvation or do they see other things? And it's so easy of just going on YouTube and watching the abs highlights or whatever it is, right? And just getting stuck into, man, I want to like fill my desires with these fleshly things, you know, uh, Netflix, whatever it is. And again, like those aren't intrinsically evil things by any means. Like um, it can be really relaxing to go and watch a movie, Barbie or, you know, whatever, whatever else you guys record on uh, podcast wise. But, um, but are we seeing the right things? And chastity will help you to re-see like, like Simeon, my own eyes have seen your salvation. Yeah. There's no contemplative gaze on Instagram mm. because it's images. It's not reality. Right. You can't actually behold something. Um, you're, just, you're just flashing it. And again, the, the kind of uh, flowing through of things, it's just, I got in a rabbit hole watching YouTube with some guys and I was like, I just want to die. I just feel terrible. Yeah. Um, and it was just like, we started watching okay go videos have you ever seen those music <laughs> those videos so they're fun. incredible so fun. but then it was just like boom down the vortex and you know, i like, made one right you did i told him about that okay. it was very impressive yeah you guys wasted a lot of your life doing that, that steve was, that nepple was, yeah that was good your younger brother um maybe i'll give one more comment here and then we'll wrap it up um and this ties into um if somebody's listening to this and maybe they're just like they're already feeling shame mm-hmm. it's just kind of like it's the person who said, like in the confessional or whoever, it's just there's a lot of shame uh, connected to it, and God doesn't want us to live in that. Um, and this is just a great insight from him. He says, People often go out in search of sexual adventure because they do not feel seen, suffer from this fact, and crave a substitute. The risk is that pleasure serves then to exacerbate sadness and make loneliness worse. Intimacy does not have to be sexual. Sex can stand in intimacy's way. Mm. So his point here is that we desire to be known uh, on a deep and profound level. But so much of the kind of, as he says, sex, sexual exploration and the kind of autoeroticism that dominates our culture is about not being seen. We get real people in our life who see us and it starts to heal the heart. Mm. And a lot of times those people um, carry the kind of goodness and kind of the chastity, the chasteness of love because their senses have been reconciled. And this is what the saints are. Saints would just, if they were sitting here, they'd be looking into our hearts. Mm. 
but it's because they've seen God yeah. and because they became capable of that. So if we're going to help heal uh, a sexually deviant culture, it's not because we're going to hammer moral imperatives on people. It's because we're going to look at people differently. And that's, mm. that's the challenge that I personally feel. And I think that in the church right now, we're being invited to, and Varden is speaking to it. And I think he's living it in a deep way. Yeah. So thank God for this awesome Bishop. Come to Denver, please. Come to Denver. Let's invite him. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Father John. That was great. That was great. Shoutouts. All right. So Al Shoup, we shouted you out, even though you've gone east. And uh, but we're we're really grateful for you. And thanks for the Basil Harrington's. I'd like to shout out um, uh, Tom and Donna Walker for their great hospitality and for forcing me to do karaoke. <laughs> I will reconsider, prayerfully reconsider doing it within maybe a decade or two. Uh, and then we also had our friends uh, join us for Mass, um, Rick and Margaret Revis, and then especially Deacon Joe and Bev Fitzpatrick, who um, have been longtime parishioners in Crested Butte, lived there mm-hmm. for decades, uh, and they just moved to Montrose. And I know that they listen to the podcast. So uh, so to, to Bev and Deacon Joe, thanks for listening, and uh, blessings on a new chapter of life. Awesome. Well, I'd like to shout out my <clears throat> diaconate, classmates because february 22nd when this comes out is when i was ordained a deacon oh nice uh four years ago yeah 2020 february 22nd the uh, feast of the chair of saint peter the only time we have a feast about a chair about <laughs> so, a chair um so shout to who was i ordained with tony davis john stapleton peter search john stapleton uh, who am i missing <laughs> john paulo almeida almeida I think I'm missing one. I can't can't think right now. But shout out to them. Love being a deacon, but even more so love being a priest. Ian Wintering. Well, I was in vain with them. Oh, he yeah, was in okay. my class. Okay, but. yeah, good. Well, very good. Well, this uh, yeah, this podcast brings us into Lent. So, um, you know, some people might be tying uh, Lenten practices into chess. I hope this is a help. But I definitely recommend Eric Varden. Uh, Coram Fratribus is the name of his website. And... Um, Again, can't can't recommend him any higher. He's just a really exceptional uh, thinker, and and he's a real light for us in the church right now. So, anyways, Shiny, that's it for tonight. We're Great. calling it. We'll see you again in March. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.